0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, your host, Sarah Ivory. Today, Vera Gran and the question of collaboration. In 1930s Warsaw, a beautiful young woman named Vera Grimberg gained a following as a cabaret singer with an earthy voice some people compared to Edith Piaf. A few years later, she, along with her mother and two sisters, was among the hundreds of thousands of Jews forced to live inside the Warsaw Ghetto. By that time, Grinberg had adopted the stage name Vera Gran, and she continued to perform throughout her time in the ghetto, most frequently at the infamous Café Stuka. Gran managed to escape the ghetto in 1942 with the help of her Polish husband. She went into hiding and she survived the war, though the rest of her family was not so fortunate. But what happened in the years that followed was a nightmare in its own right. Vera Gran was accused by other survivors of having collaborated with the Gestapo. She fought those charges until the end of her life in 2007. In a new book, Polish writer Agata Tuszynska introduces us to Gran when she is old, angry, and ravaged, and living in a studio apartment in Paris. The book examines Gran's life, but also the fraud associations that clung to those like her who survived the Holocaust against all odds. Well, we're delighted today to have Agata in the studio with us. Agata Tuszynska, welcome to Vox Tablet. Hello. Now, how did you first hear of Vera Gran? Were people listening to her music when you were growing up in Warsaw? No, not really. I have to say that I didn't know
1: the name of Vera Gran in Poland and from Poland. I learned about her in Paris. Already in the eighties I spent a lot of time in Paris then and somebody told me that there is a woman and an old woman, she wasn't so old, but I was much younger, uh who survived the Warsaw Ghetto and she was a collaborator and a singer. And it's it's important that I heard about her as a collaborator and then as a singer. And I couldn't understand how was it possible both to be a singer in the Warsaw Ghetto and a collaborator. And I really wanted to meet this woman, but I didn't do it then in the late 80s, beginning of 90s, because I had some other uh, important books to write. And I met Vera Gran in 2003 in Paris. And after... Talking to her on the phone, I decided it's an important story
0: and I want to write about it. You say it was important that you heard first that she was a collaborator and then a singer. Why the uh, privilege on the word collaborator? What about that resonated particularly? Well,
1: if you are an artist, if you are a singer, I would think that people think about you that way. But the uh, infamy of being a collaborator was so strong that people forgot that she used to be a singer and she used to be a star. Now the first label, the first word which jumped
0: out of people's mouth was a collaborator. Well, before we get to that question of whether or not she collaborated and what uh, made up those allegations, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about her life as a singer. How did she become a singer? How did her uh, fame grow? Well, she wanted to be
1: a dancer. Uh, She was born in a not very rich Jewish family. I think she was born in Russia, but she never admitted. But her name, Viera is a Russian name, and when she was dying, she talked to me in Russian. The family was poor. The father left the mother with three daughters, and Vera had to work. So um, first she worked, she was doing the manicure, she wasn't very talented for that, (laughs) as she admitted. She was horrible. Nobody wanted her to touch their (laughs) (laughs) hands. And then she wanted to be a dancer. And she went to this uh, very prestigious private dancing school. But then it was a car accident. And she was wounded and couldn't dance anymore. But still, she wanted to help her mother, and she wanted to do something for the family, the mother and the other sisters. And she was working, uh, started to work in a restaurant. And one of the clients who came there heard her voice. She was singing like this for herself. And he was amazed how wonderful her voice was. And he said, well, I want to see this boy, he said, because she had a very uh, interesting very deep voice not like a woman rather like a man and she started to th- to sing she didn't like at first the stage etc she was very shy but finally they kind of forced her to step out on the stage and she she started to sing and it was Amazing. Apparently, she was really young. We don't know exactly if she was born in 1916 or 18. She wasn't smart enough to, you know, move uh, <laughs> the date like 10 years, uh, like I do, for example. <laughs> but she was young. She was in her early 20s when she started to be a real star in these nightclubs and cafes. It was a Café Vogue. In Warsaw, she was beautiful. She was uh, petite uh, with uh, this incredible eyes, incredible voice, very modest, modestly dressed. And it was something incredible, as said, people who, you know, used to go to these uh, clubs. And she... Became to be famous and also she started to earn a lot of money Uh that she didn't have before so it was a huge help for the family and also she liked it and she many many times she was talking about how singing made her as a person so the question who are you the answer would be I'm a singer I'm a singer this is the art I love I love to perform and also I love to be admired. Mm-hmm. I loved, she loved to be admired by others, men and women as well. And she was like a
0: real Jewish star. She liked it. Was her audience, was her fan base both Jewish and non Jewish? Yes, yes. And she was very
1: proud of it. She used to tell me that even in a ghetto, there were Poles
0: who crossed the walls, came into the ghetto to listen to her. Before we go on, let's listen to one of her songs. Uh, This one is called Three Letters, and it's from a recording uh, made in 1965, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this song before we hear it. Well, it's a beautiful song about a woman
1: who's in love with her man, but the man fell in love with someone else, and the woman is singing that uh, She loves him so much, but of course if he wanted to be with someone else, her life is her her love is so great that she let him go and at the end she says okay I'm leaving be happy with this other woman but remember don't smoke so much and (laughs) use remember to use your scarf when it's cold outside. Mój Boże, co z tego? Po prostu nie spostrzegłam, że przecież biegł czas. Siedziałam i myślałam, myślałam, jak napisać do Niego i że piszę ostatni już raz.
0: Let's skip ahead to 2003, and I wonder if you can tell us what sort of person did you discover when Vera Grant finally opened her door to you then? Well, you have to remember that it's true. She opened the
1: door for me, but she didn't let me in. So first few weeks, we're talking uh, outside her apartment on the um, landing on the landing. So she just put out two chairs, two little stools, and we're talking there. Uh, I called her and I said, Viera, I want to talk to you. Please meet me in a cafe or I can come to your place, etc. She said, it's impossible. I cannot leave the house because they're stealing from me. They want to take everything what I have. They. So I said, whom are you referring to, Viera? She said, are you stupid or what? She used to say it a lot uh, in French. (laughs) Ça va pas la tête? You're crazy? What are you talking about? I cannot leave the house. So I said, so maybe I can come to you. I will, you know, I'll gladly do it. No, 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 I don't accept anybody in my place. You cannot come. So I said, so what can we do? And then I thought, well, I had this great idea. I said, Vera, so let's meet on the landing of your apartment. You are not. You will be. You know, safe. I'm not gonna come in. And she was laughing like crazy. She was, ah, it's such a wonderful <laughs> idea. Yes, yes, let's do it. But I didn't believe she will really be there, actually. And I used to live in uh, Toronto then, so I said, Viera, but I want to be sure that you will talk to me because otherwise, I'm buying a ticket. I'm coming to Paris, especially for you. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And. It happened. I mean, we spent, I think it was rather like three to four weeks on this landing. Every day? Not every day, like three times a week. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of meetings, you know, outside. And she also gave me, wanted to give me her recorder because she didn't believe mine, it's good enough or, you know, she was very, um, she didn't trust anyone. She didn't trust anyone, and she. what was interesting that uh, she wanted to talk about her life and the case of Vera Gran and all those accusations, but on the other hand, she didn't trust me. So it was a conflict, but she wanted more to talk than she didn't trust me. So finally, after... Those few weeks, one day, I don't know why, she opened the door as usual and she just took me in inside. And it was what was interesting there. I mean, maybe not interesting, rather terrifying. It was completely dark. So she took me through this tiny, tiny, long corridor inside the place. That's this little studio. It was on the first floor which was completely messy. And she had one little lamp. And that's all. The curtains were on. And I felt like in a ghetto, of course. I thought, well, where are we? Is it a bunker in a ghetto? Is it a hiding place? It's outside. It's sunny. We're in the sixième arrondissement in Paris, a beautiful aristocratic uh, neighborhood. What am I doing here with this woman? That's how it started. So I knew she's uh, afraid of everything. She didn't want me to, um, uh, to call because she was afraid that people call her to abuse her, to say horrible things about her. So it was also um, very characteristic for her. When she picked up the phone, she didn't say anything. She didn't say hello because she was, you know, th- thinking that they will say, you Jewish Gestapo whore, wow. what did you do during the war, etc. We hate you. So she didn't say anything. But later on, you know, I quickly, I decided that I will listen to her, that I want to listen to her, and I owe her that. What do you mean you owe her that? Well... <laughs> You know, my mother was in a ghetto as a little girl with her mother who was a teacher and with the whole family on my mother's side, and they all perished. And the ghetto for me is a place that I'm referring to a lot. I think about it, it's important for me, and I'm asking myself a lot of questions concerning people choices during the war, and especially the Jews in the ghetto, because if it could have been my destiny. So I could be in the shoes of my mother or of my grandmother or of Viera Gran. And then I'm asking myself questions. What would I do? Is it easy to be a singer in the ghetto? Is it uh, justified? Viera said she did it for others as well as for herself and her family because she earned money like this, right? She had her mother there and two sisters. So she was working for money, but also she was working for to give others like the illusion of normal life, Mm -hmm. which was kind of impossible in the ghetto, but they remembered it. So it was like the time of oblivion, the time of happiness that they experienced before. But now you have on the horizon is death. And she was singing about love and longing and about trees, which were impossible to find in a ghetto. There were no trees You couldn't see the sun. You couldn't see. It was really crowded in the ghetto. Mm -hmm. It was a horrible, crowded place, very sad. So when you think about it, and and I think about it very often, for me, ghetto is silent, although it wasn't silent at all. And in this dark silence, I, I
0: see this beautiful, shining woman And something is wrong. Mm -hmm. So Vera spent a year and a half in the ghetto, in the Warsaw Ghetto, before her husband was able to get her out. That doesn't seem like that long a time, but yet these accusations manifested after the war that were quite ugly and damning of her, that she collaborated. But it's somewhat vague what the nature of that collaboration uh, was. Can you lay it out for me? Well,
1: it was incredible because i really think that the only guilt the only reason for viera to be accused it's it's because she survived she was accused because she was a beautiful woman and she dared to survive she spent in a ghetto 18 months as a singer then she was in hiding in forty Five for the first time she heard that she was collaborating with the Gestapo. They said she was collaborating in the ghetto by singing for Jewish police, so-called, or for Germans. And also she was accused of being in touch with those who collaborated. And then on the Aryan-Polish side, Apparently, she denounced Jews. And the trial, which took place for two and a half years, started in 1946, said she's innocent. I mean. Who tried her? Excuse me. It was a, uh, the Committee of Centralny Komitet Żydów Polski, the Central Committee of Polish Jews. They decided they have to find out. If those accusations are real. Apparently, Vera Grant herself wanted it because for her it was so absurd that someone might think that she collaborated. She used to say, Germans uh, killed all my family and three million of Jews, and they think I could have collaborated with them, I mean, helped them to do this. And she said, okay. Let's have a trial. Let's the Jews, the Central Committee of Polish Jews, check if those rumors and accusations are real. Is this the truth in it? And reading the papers from the trial, you know all those témoignages with uh, witnesses. It's like half and a half. Like fifty people said she was a beautiful, wonderful singer, a very a uh, kind woman who was serving others in a ghetto and she used to sing for the children and for sick artists and she shared bread with everybody. And the others they it's like seeing two different women that she was a whore and she loved uh, she loved um furs for example. Jews were not allowed after a certain year to wear fur in a ghetto. They used to give it away for Germans. Apparently she was wearing her fur. She was, she loved to sing for Germans and she was a a whore who was seen apparently in Warsaw on the Aryan side denouncing Jews. What is interesting, no one ever seen it really. But they said, I know someone who knew someone else who Heard from someone else that Viera Grant did this and that. So, any like proofs, but a lot of talking, a lot of hatred, a lot of jealousy, maybe. And Viera told me, and I felt it, that what happened during the war to her was horrible, but what happened after was even more. Absurd, and she couldn't she didn't know how to deal with those accusations she That's why all her life she was trying to like wash her hands to prove that it's absurd, to prove that she was innocent, to prove that she was singing for others like other different artists were playing, for example, or you know being on stage in the ghetto. Like her. Why her? Why she was chosen for all those accusations? I don't know. I think it has something to do with her beauty and the fact that she was a woman. It didn't help. Because if a man survived the war, it's okay. If a woman survived the war, it means that she has to... She she did something what the woman can do. Well, she can... She seduced. Yes. Or even far, right? She slept with a German, one another, to save her life. But then, so what?
0: So what? What would you do? She wanted to survive. Well, that raises an interesting point, which is that her pianist, her accompanist, was uh, Spielman, the pianist whose life was made famous to many Americans through the Roman Polanski movie, in um, which Adrian Brody starred. And he apparently called our collaborator after the war. But why was the same accusation not made against him? Well,
1: I'm asking myself the same question. You know, it's really complicated. And I wrote a book about Vera Gran um, because we know his story. We know pianist's story. We don't know her story. So this is her story now. Spielmann was the first man who told Vera Gran that he heard that she was collaborating with Gestapo. He was the one. He was the first one. And uh, she was absolutely devastated. She couldn't understand how is it possible that the man with whom she worked in this horrible place in a ghetto for a year and a half, could believe in such accusations. What is important is to know that from Kaffe Stuka art, only those two people, only those two artists survived, Spielmann and Vera Gran, no one else. So I thought that you, if you meet someone after the war, your colleague from work, you should be kind of happy, uh, to see this person, apparently uh, Spielmann wasn't so happy and uh, the uh, sentence that he uh, welcomed her with was, ah, so you survived, you're alive. You know, I wrote her story. That's why I felt obliged to use her words and her... um, way of presenting her life and the life of others, which were connected with her. So I don't know if all what Viera Grant said about Spielmann is truth. And I never, ever uh, wrote in my book that I believe in it. But Spielmann was a very important figure in her life. And at the end, she was obsessed by him.
0: Much of this book dwells on the secrets that followed survivors for years, decades, really, after the war's end. And that is a subject that is very close to your own family, as you mentioned earlier. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your own story. Sure. Uh, I think the
1: main subject of this book, as well as my other books, is memory, This is a book about memory. This is a book about uh, the price of survival and about the Holocaust, which is inside us, people who survived as well as second generation. Uh, I didn't know that I was Jewish for many, many years. I was born in Warsaw and... uh, I had Polish parents and Polish friends, and I used to go to Polish schools, and I loved Polish uh, literature and landscapes and everything. And I felt completely Polish as I look Polish, blue eyes, you know, clear hair, etc. And later on, I noticed that my mother was really proud of having a girl with blue eyes although her eyes are dark and she had dark hair. So I didn't know that the history, the memory of the Jews and the Holocaust is in me somehow, that I have it. Even when my mother told me that she's Jewish, I was 19 then. I didn't quite get it. And I was afraid of her words, and I was afraid of this information, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I thought, she didn't tell me for so many years. Not about her mother, about the ghetto, about this little shtetl, Wenchica, where they all were from. So she had a reason not to tell me. So if she had a reason and she didn't tell me, I have to hide it as well. So I used to live for many years on this Aryan-Polish papers of my mother in Poland in the 60s and 70s. And I think it was completely absurd because I inherited her fear. And I didn't know what's going on me- with me, really. I weren't the girl that I used to be. I weren't the new girl with the Jewish background because I didn't know Jewish background, not religion, not tradition, books, nothing. So I used to live in this schizophrenic split, and I couldn't get into terms with it. I didn't know what to do. So first of all, I decided I need to learn something about Jewishness and the history and tradition. And uh, I decided I'll read Isaac Bashevi Singer. But so I read all his books, which were not accessible in Poland at that time in Polish, so I read them in English first. And I started to learn and learn and learn. And I wrote a book about Singer and the Polish Jews, but nobody knew that I was Jewish. So I was describing this history and reality, which was mine, but my reader didn't know it was mine. So they couldn't quite get it why this Polish writer writes, as they said, quote unquote, so beautifully about Jewish life, if she's not Jewish. I couldn't live like this longer because I felt something is not right. I cannot reveal my secret to anyone. And I have to say that what helped me, it was New York. It was my uh, year stay as a Fulbright Scholar in New York City. Here, I started to talk about it. And what before was completely like impossible. I couldn't say my mother was Jewish. Still, I'm not saying I am Jewish, but I couldn't say my mother was Jewish and my mother was in a ghetto and her mother was killed and her whole family perished. I couldn't say that. New York helped because I met a lot of people, a lot of Jewish uh, scholars and writers and doctors, like a normal Jewish life was here, which was like, for me, impossible to understand. In Poland, as my mother taught me, it wasn't good to be Jewish. You had to hide it. It was shameful. It was something really wrong about it. It's not like this anymore. Not for me because I wrote the book, not for others, but it was really difficult for me. So I decided, okay, I don't have my Jewish past. I don't have my Jewish family, but I have a pen and I can write about it and I can recreate it and I can write for myself the story of my family. I can write about my grandmother, which I never knew I don't know what she was like. I just saw one little picture. I didn't know her voice. I didn't know her gefilte fish. I didn't know what was it like to have a Jewish grandmother. But I wrote about her, and I feel like I have her. She's there because she's in my book. And the same with my grandfather and the whole Jewish family. So this book was for me like... I gave myself back what was taken from me. And I was also a little, I understood my mother's gesture. She wanted to protect me in the Polish Poland. She wanted me to be the same as the others. But at the same time, she took away something, right? She, we, we used to go to the cemetery, the Catholic cemetery and my grandmother was there and my mother never told me the story. She was killed. She was 42. Now I know her story, like I own her past and this is my past, I can add it to the reality I knew. And this is, again, my obsession. The same was with Vera Grant, with old people that you touch them and they give you back their world, their memories, something that you didn't experience, but you would love to experience because it's yours. So that's why I heard a lot, a lot of stories from survivors and now I'm trying to listen to the second generation as well, because it's, I wrote this book and I'm not afraid anymore. And the book is called Family History of Fear, because it's my mother's fear and the fear that I inherited for so many years. But now it's gone. I mean, I feel liberated and I, and also I feel like I have my family back. Agata Tushinska, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you very much. It was really interesting. Agata Tushinska's new biography is called Vera Gran, the Accused, the celebrated singer of the Warsaw Ghetto, her piano economist, Wadislav Spielman, and a meditation on the nature of collaboration. It's just out from Knopf. If you're in New York City this week, you can hear more from Agatha on Friday. She'll be appearing at the Penn World Voices Festival in New York City. You can find out more information on our website, tabletmag.com. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our podcast. Please do post a comment on our site or email us at podcast at tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Suprin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll come back next week.